0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, September the 13th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, season three of Mind Your Own Business is on the horizon, hitting the airwaves of AMI-TV in November. It's not too early for host Kevin Shaw to reflect on the evolution of the show and give you a sneak peek. How do you feel about Quebec's intention to ban cell phones in school classrooms? That's the exact question that Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller will weigh in on. Alongside a smattering, a grab bag of other issues. Quick slant hot takes in the second hour of Now with Dave Brown. Speaking of hot, I think Brock Richardson is probably hot under the collar to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays in the sports chats. Brock, in all the hubbub of parasport and football, you and I have not given the Toronto Blue Jays adequate attention. They had a tremendously important and exciting series at the Rogers Center this week, and they've dropped the first two to the Texas Rangers, including a 6 3 loss last night. Hoo-boy, Brock, they're still in the mix for this playoff spot, but they're making their life harder than it has to be.
1: Yeah, they are. Um, This is very, very disappointing to see. This is very disappointing to watch. I mean, they can't get anything going, and when they get something going, it's always with two outs, and I sit there and I think to myself yeah, but it doesn't matter because there's already two outs and it's, you know, and then and then they get a run and they go in the bottom of the inning and they, they give them back. Like, it's just, things are just not happening for them. Pitching is doing come see, come saw. They've been holding them up all year. The hitting just cannot get anything going. And we've seen this all season long. They They do well against teams under 500, which is all well and good, taking care of your business. But when you need to take care of business against teams that are, over 500 or in and around 500 they're just not doing it and it's very 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 frustrating
0: there are a bunch of blue jays fans who work in this office including one of our colleagues from the finance department lynn jandro who goes to a ton of games loves the blue jays Brock, she comes into my office this morning and she goes, Dave, they have not been able to get a clutch hit in 140 games. Why would they start now? Brock, I got after you a little bit around the midway point of the season when the Blue Jays were at the absolute bottom of punching runners in when they get them in scoring position clutch hitting and i said oh brock that's going to regress back to the mean or in this case it's going to progress to the mean they're going to find their way towards average and now with about 20 games left on the schedule they are not finding their way back towards
1: average no they're not and you know what something that not a lot of people are talking about which just dawned on me i think one of the biggest losses for the toronto blue jays out of all the injuries they've had is one danny jansen their catcher yeah he he has been one of the biggest sort of guys that just can be a clutch hitter. You can say what you want about Mad Chapman being injured their third baseman. Sure, that's another guy that that's, that's good and can do it. But Danny Jansen for me is the guy that because of this injury, you really, really feel the loss with his broken fractured finger. Uh, it's just it's a real loss to me that I look at and I say, yeah, this one's a, a glaring, glaring problem here.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to put an exact broken finger on it, but there is something there, right? Where are those hits coming from? Where is that offense going to be? And it's a little disappointing because, for example, their starting pitcher Kevin Gossman, this guy might win the Cy Young this year as the best pitcher in the American League. He's having a career year for the team, and and they're getting some of these performances, and they're just not getting the wins. That said, maybe it's too much doom and gloom in the moment, Brock, because where they sit today, they're still tied for a playoff spot. They're still right there. in the mix i may have cursed them a few weeks ago when i said oh brock they're gonna get in it ain't no problem don't worry about it the jays are getting in why do we even have this consternation but if i put you on the spot today and i said the houston astros the toronto blue jays the texas rangers and the seattle mariners are competing essentially for two playoff spots when this is all over are the blue jays on the outside looking in i'm putting you on the spot this morning brock
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go with no. I think they're on the outside looking in. I don't think they get in. I think they really missed an opportunity and they're just not doing it. I mean I, I hear the argument of if they split, no. When we started this series, what were we talking about? We wanted three out of three out of four. Yep. We're not here yep. now. Now we're back to tracking and saying, Oh well a split would be good. No, 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 no. <laughs> we wanted three out of four. Stick to your guns and tell us that. And I've heard all kinds of media this morning and yesterday of like oh well we'd be pretty satisfied with a split no I don't think so now a split would put them back in 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 control above the ra- yeah in control back in control but but then you don't have the tiebreaker against the Texas Rangers so now you have to be clear above the Texas Rangers in wins as opposed to tied because if it if they're tied with the same record the Toronto Blue Jays are below yeah. the Texas yeah. Rangers and if they're tied with the Seattle Mariners. They're below the Seattle Mariners because the Seattle Mariners hold that tiebreaker. The uh-huh. only team they have uh-huh. they have the tiebreaker against is the Houston Astros, which right now are leading the division. So they're kind of irrelevant but relevant at the same time because <laughs> Seattle and and Houston are kind of flip flopping with each yeah. other in the division right now so, they, they, yeah. they've they've been trading that that division
0: lead in the al west they've been trading back and forth the last month or so it's actually been really compelling it's been a super compelling playoff race if you take the toronto blue jays emotions out of it as a fan the playoff race in the al and the national league have both been really compelling it's been a fantastic baseball season brock one last blue jays note before you and i look to olympic sports only 30,000 people at the stadium last night, only 23,000 on Monday. It's so funny. All summer, they were doing well over 40,000 all game. I wonder if it's just the school year coming back, like the school year going back into the flow. Nobody wants to take their kids to a game at 7 o'clock on a weeknight that's going to end at nine ten. Then you got to drive back to the suburbs, yada, yada, yada. But I am a little shocked by how low some of the attendance numbers have been on a few of these weeknight games uh, this week.
1: I will also add to your to your thought process there. I also think that the fans are starting to kind of lose a little bit of hope as well to what's going on. I do agree that the main reason is school going back, but I do think part of it is uh, they're starting to lose face because it, we can all see with our own two eyes what they're not doing at the plate and. If you don't get runs, you don't win games. So that's just how that's going to be. And I'm very worried, and I I don't want to jinx it, but I'm very worried that they're going to lose three out of four if not get swept, and then we're really having... really having an issue
0: (laughs) brock i'll tell you this though less people at the stadium means more likely i'm going to show up because less lineups for hot dogs brock let's uh, (laughs) let's uh, switch over to olympic sports some sports commentators are looking ahead to the 2024 olympics Not my guy, Brock Richardson. You're looking even further into the future. You've got your eye on 2028 and a couple sports that may get experimented with and added to the mix. Brock, what's on your agenda? What's on your mind here?
1: So this one's been on the mind for a little bit. I saw this a little while ago, and I thought we should bring it up. The sports that are on the quote-unquote shortlist to make the 2028 Olympic Games are softball cricket lacrosse and flag football now the other one that's on the bit of a longer list is break dancing that <laughs> one to me is is intriguing because i'm like hmm are there people I, i'm not into break dancing so you'd have to enlighten me if you are but are there people that really do this professionally or amateurly could this be an olympic sport how would this be judged what are your thoughts on some of these uh sports that i've Outlined. Yeah,
0: if, if there's room for something like rhythmic gymnastics in the Olympics, there's probably some room for the technique that goes into breakdancing. It seems a little too performative for my taste, but there's no doubt there is tremendous athleticism required to breakdance. I know I can't. I would just hurt myself, like, through and through. <laughs> it wouldn't take much. But I do find sports like lacrosse and cricket to be interesting because these are regionally and globally Quite popular is sports, especially cricket, right? That's one of the biggest sports in the world that people don't talk about. So I would love to see cricket added in. The only thing, though, Brock, is there's already these huge international professionalized World Cups. So I wonder if they might have to do something similar they do with the men's soccer at the Olympics, which says... 23 and under so so i so i do think there's probably some merit for something like cricket to be added to the mix lacrosse certainly it's a huge sport in north america like massive
1: massive sport in north america flag football i don't know about that one yeah the the flag football for me is the one i go "Eh," yeah i'm with you on that one um cricket for me that's like you said that's a global sport and if i think of olympics i think of global and i think you know a lot of people can compete a lot of countries i think cricket would would meet that my only concern about cricket being an olympic sport which is something they'd have to formatically figure out is how long it takes oh to yeah play a cricket oh yeah game at times this this would have to be you know modified because there's only you know uh 20 something days in the summer olympics so you'd have to modify this to make this work um i i like the you know the idea of the breakdancing sure if we're gonna add in breakdancing why can't we add in like uh, acrobatics that you see like people that do like weird stunt things on america's got talent like if we're gonna go that far yeah yeah like can we not do that then you know like at some point you know we have to draw the line and I just I, I don't know maybe maybe break dancing is a bit too far I mean I've seen tag broadcasted on television which is fascinating to watch by the way if yeah you've ever seen uh, I, Brock, tag
0: it, it's interesting you mentioned that I was at the bar last Thursday afternoon and tag was on and I'm like what on earth am I watching
1: <laughs> yeah and did you find yourself <laughs> captivated by what you were watching uh, a little because bit
0: I, I, a little bit it was it was just before football was starting so I was shaking I was I was I was jonesing for my football.
1: Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I've seen it a couple of times and it's it's kind of an interesting take on the game of tag. And I, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what is going on with you? But then I kind of got captivated in watching it. So maybe tag could be eventually kind of one on the same. I, I, I love softball coming back or thinking of coming back. I really think it was a shame that they took that a, away a couple of Olympics ago. I, I would also suggest that maybe doing something like having the professionals come i know this would be a a logistical nightmare given that baseball is a summer sport but it would be interesting to see if somehow some way we could add the professionals in on just the game but i don't see that happening because baseball would have to lose a lot of money in order to make (laughs) that
0: happen yeah pro sports leagues greedy uh brock thank you for this have a great day thank you for bringing these topics to the table No problem. That's Brock Richardson. He's at the AMI Sports Desk coming up after the break. Season three of Mind Your Own Business on AMI-TV is on the horizon. The new season starts in November. It's not too early to have a sneak peek, though. Host Kevin Shaw reflects on the evolution of the show. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Season three of Mind Your Own Business is still a couple of months away on AMI TV. There are some changes coming your way this year. Who better to pull back the curtain than Kevin Shaw? Kevin is the host of the show. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Morning, Dave. Kevin, thank you for engaging in some navel gazing with me this morning. I love talking about our business from the inside out. So you're hosting the show solo this year. How do you think that might change the show?
2: Well, it's a little different. We've done done two seasons with two hosts. So it was myself and and Pradeep Sangha, who was our uh, kind of resident business expert uh, who was joining me on the show. Um, it's a little bit different this time around because, as you said, I'm, I'm hosting the show by myself. So there's one less voice um, to bounce ideas off of, one less person to sort of bring into these different conversations that we're having on the show. But I actually think it kind of streamlines the show a bit. Uh, I know that listening to a show with six different voices uh, that are all sort of competing for attention with mentors and the entrepreneur and, and two hosts – Uh, can sometimes get a little bit uh, confusing. And, uh, you know, really, it's, uh, I think, a much better, uh, you know, more streamlined approach to do it this way this year.
0: How do you think the show has evolved over the years? Now with Dave Brown is also in its third season now, we're rapidly approaching a thousand episodes and the show is actually, it's unbelievable, dude. It's unbelievable and that wasn't meant to be like a brag. It's just unbelievable (laughs) to think it's almost been a thousand episodes and the show has gone through a bunch of pandemic evolutions and staff turnover evolutions and the show changes for good and for bad, mostly for good. How do you think your shows evolved going into the third year?
2: Well, I think we're, you know, we're definitely at the point now where we've got a rhythm to the show. We're always kind of shifting things around. Season one was, you know, certainly a learning experience. I, I had, you know, about half a page of notes that I took back to the producers and said, "Hey, let's let's try it this way the next time around." Um, and and so they were very open to very open to that. Uh, I think this time around. Uh, what we've what we've evolved into is you know we we know kind of the format of the show we know the story that we want to tell we know that there's going to be a sixty day challenge we know that there's going to be a follow up and we didn't have that kind of language or nomenclature in the first season of the show so to see it go from season one to two to now three uh, and have those touch points. Um, you know, I think is really great, and and I'm sure that we're gonna make course adjustments and refinements as as we move on. Um, you know, to hopefully uh, more seasons.
0: Yeah, it's something that I'm always admiring of. As a show evolves, you figure out what I would call segmentation. You called it nomenclature, yep. 60-day follow-up. But it's figuring out these little, I don't mean to make this sound cheap, but gimmicks. Little things you can do that provide hooks and structure. And like that speaks to great creators and a great host and collaboration. And figuring out, hey, let's experiment a little bit. Trusting each other with that evolution.
2: Totally, and and you know my role has evolved because obviously I was the host in the first season, but you know I was really playing a producer role. Uh, You know I was helping with a lot of the casting, a lot of the writing, um, a lot of a lot of like, hey, let's let's structure the show this way. Uh, Let's try to do you know let's let's change this so that we've we've got a little bit more back and forth, Um, and you know coming on coming in as a co-producer and and having a title as a co-producer uh has certainly been uh, you know a huge evolution for me as well and and that's um you know that's that's something that I'm i'm really proud of
0: you are not a broadcasting novice your background was more in radio before moving into television what made you want to plunge into the tv world
2: well, i had done a, a bunch of sort of one-off TV things in the past. I went to school for broadcasting. I I, I went to you know what's now called TMU uh, Ryerson University back in the day for radio and television arts, and uh, I split my specialties between audio production and, and technical producing for TV. And so I was, you know, I, I grew very comfortable kind of being around TV studios and TV cameras and and crews and so forth. I think what's different from doing radio to doing tv is that with tv you've got many more people um maybe 16 or 17 people all pushing towards a common goal and that's really exciting to work in in tv when you've when you've got a whole crew there you've got multiple camera people you've got people there that are just to do lights just to do makeup which you don't have in radio and the entire team depends on the peak performance of everyone involved. Radio, you can walk into the studio, sit in front of the board, turn your microphone on, spin music, and you and you really you're sort of flying solo. But with TV, it's definitely much more of a team effort, and I think that's what really attracted me to it.
0: So, Kevin, you had a little bit of a split in your training. When I was doing my training, I was strictly doing radio. I never imagined TV was going to be where I ended up. Mm. Uh, AMI eventually approached me when I was graduating radio school. Hey, come come do a shoot. Let's, let's see what you got. Let's check this out. And of course, I think to myself, oh, it's a TV thing. I better put on a nice suit and a nice shirt and a tie. <laughs> you know, we're going to a Paralympic event. I've got to look super sweet. Of course, uh, not knowing anything about myself or television, I was wearing a light gray suit and a light blue shirt, and I started sweating the second I got there because I'd never been on camera before. I don't know if that's been burned in the AMI archives of me just sweating on camera. I felt deeply uncomfortable with the presentation of television, but where my background in radio helped me is when it came time to actually interview the para-athletes Easy peasy, no problem, because in radio, you just learn to talk to people. What do you think your radio experience offered you as you moved into TV?
2: Well, I think a lot of the same stuff. Um, you know, just learning how to think on your feet, how to be creative in the moment. Um, you know, what I really appreciated about radio was the fact that... So so my my background in radio is, is producing t- uh, radio commercials, writing and producing radio commercials, and a lot of other kind of recorded... Um, uh, materials, so you know, mini documentaries and and news pieces and features and so forth, and so I really learned how to tell stories with with broadcast media, and that has definitely translated over to to television, and it's something that uh, you know has certainly been evident on Mind Your Own Business.
0: Kevin, one last question. You and I will have plenty of time to talk more about the show and the new season as it gets closer to the debut date on November the 15th. Here's a media question that I never have a good answer for when somebody asks me, but you're more talented at this than I am. Who do you want to interview one
2: day? Oh, boy. Um, I've I've got... Maybe two or three people in mind. So, so there's a gentleman I, I I follow online. His name is Cliff High. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a free thinker and and um, uh, really sort of unique uh, uh, linguistics guy uh, that I, that I think would just be really fascinating to interview. Um, Tina Fey. I, I just love all of Tina's work. I think she's a brilliant writer and oh, a brilliant so producer. Good. And uh, I'd love to interview her or, um, you know, maybe somebody like a Tucker Carlson and sort of get his perspective on, you know, kind of working in media and so forth.
0: Yeah, I've also I've also got like media people that I'd love to talk to—the Dan Lebitards of the world, the Bill Simmons of the world—people who sort of yeah. made it on their own after coming out of a big machine. I also mm-hmm. think uh, in the creative world, you mentioned Tina Fey. One of her uh, NBC associates, Mike Schur, who was also a writer on Saturday Night Live and eventually wrote The oh, Good yeah. Place and wrote an amazing book a couple of years ago called How to Be Perfect. Uh, he was also one of the writers on The Office and Parks and Recreation. Like okay, this is a cool. this is a great great writer. I would love to sit down with Mike Scher for like an hour and just pick his brain. And if I could stargaze a little bit, you know who I'd love to sit down with? Seth Rogen. I I, I just think the work the guy makes is really interesting. He's also got a deep philanthropic uh, side of his work. He does a lot of work for um, aging in place and uh, long-term care homes and people experiencing Alzheimer's and senility. So he is someone who I think I'd love to talk about his work, but also some of his philanthropy.
2: I think he'd be really great. Uh, You know, he's a very versatile actor. And, uh, you know, of course, he's been in, you know, a bunch of Judd Apatow movies and whatnot. But, um, you know, he's he's done some serious roles as well. I I think he'd be great.
0: Yeah, very good. Hey, Kevin, thank you again for doing some navel gazing. I know sometimes it's uncomfortable to do that. We're always taught in broadcasting school, the story's not about you. But in this case, the the story was about you. So thank you, Kevin.
2: Well, thank you, and uh, congrats on all the success with the show. I'm looking forward to the 1,000th episode.
0: Uh, Yeah, we should probably start figuring out what we want to do for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's Kevin Shaw. He's the host of Mind Your Own Business. Season 3 returns Wednesday, November the 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I promise you... Between now and then, you'll get a closer look at what's coming up on the season. But I wanted to pull back the curtain on Kevin a little bit today. Coming up after the break, here's a question for you. How do you feel about Quebec's intention to ban cell phones in school classrooms? Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller will weigh in with their thoughts. Then I've got a bunch more questions for them too. Quick slant, hot takes on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back, it's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The school year is underway. The province of Quebec is looking to make students' lives a little different. The government wants to ban the use of cell phones in classrooms, at least for students. Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller have thoughts on this and a bunch of other stories. Hello again, Elizabeth.
3: Hello again, Dave.
0: And good morning to Marco.
4: Good morning, Dave.
0: (laughs) Elizabeth, you get first crack at this. From the perspective of someone who is so deeply involved in education and academics, what's your reaction to Quebec wanting to ban cell phones in classrooms?
3: Yeah, this is an interesting one. I don't think a ban is productive, both from an educator perspective and a student with access needs perspective. I think it's up to us as educators to teach students how to use the technology, whether it's a cell phone or laptop appropriately, and embed that into our curriculum. Specifically when it comes to group work and bringing students together, I think there's this conception that mobile devices are taking away from one-on-one or group interaction. So I I, I know this has been done on the show, So I won't sort of beat that drum too loudly, but access needs are a huge issue when I think about this, but not just for students, but for us as educators.
0: Yeah, Marco, I'm inclined to agree with Elizabeth. It kind of feels like in the modern landscape, you need to figure out a way to incorporate devices into classrooms. But what do you think about Quebec's desire to ban cell phones in classrooms?
4: Yeah, so when we were leading up to this story today, I kind of did some research and and, and reading uh, the email that we were creating, uh, learning that roughly half of children aged 7 to 11 have a cell phone now, which scares me that 7- and 11-year-olds have cell phones and 90% of teens have cell phones. I, I understand what the education minister in Quebec is, is talking about with, in terms of limiting distractions, uh, but I do think that we need to have checks and balances in, with regards to uh, the usage of the cell phone, and if there is a actual use from an accessibility perspective or from an education perspective, then 100% absolutely, but I do remember when I was in high school, and this is uh, aging myself, but I graduated 20 years ago, right? So, um, I didn't really have a cell phone when I was in high school, and I managed just fine as a person with a disability, but times have changed, right? So I think there's a balance. I'm a Mm. fan of cell phones not necessarily being in front of you if you don't need it for the activity or for your accessibility needs, because let's face it, social media distracts us enough as it is, and there are going to be kids that are abusing the reasons as to why they're using their cell phone. But from a technology uh, perspective and using it as a tool, I 100% support it. So sorry to sit on the fence, but it's uh, it's kind of 50-50 for me. It's
0: okay. We're literally going to run through four topics here. So I'm going to let you sit on the fence <laughs> on one of them, Marco. That's how, that's, how you, that's, how you, that's how you build a good fence. You got to put some posts in there from time to time. So quick slants all around here. Switching to a story about the positive possibilities of artificial intelligence. University of California researchers are working on brain implants to restore speech for people who had strokes. A thin rectangle of 253 electrodes is implanted onto the brain. The electrodes intercept brain signals that typically would have gone to muscles. A cable connected to the back of a patient's head then sends the signals to a bank of computers. Cameras use an AI algorithm to recognize facial expressions and turn them in into speech that is the thumbnail sketch of a thumbnail sketch on how this technology (laughs) works but marco (laughs) the bigger question is how big are the prospects for ai in the medical and rehabilitation field
4: i mean they're a game changer, Dave, not to not to underscore it uh, too little or too much. Uh, this particular story uh, is interesting because it actually features a Regina woman mm-hmm. who suffered a stroke more than mm-hmm. 18 years ago. And what they actually did when they were doing uh, the creation of this AI is they actually watched her wedding video when she was still able to speak and were able to record the sound of her voice so that the AI even sounds like her to her husband. And right now, the technology is in its infancy stages where you actually do have to be connected to electrodes as you said and it interprets those signals but can you imagine years from now because they're currently working on it becoming wireless and the ability to regain your voice after losing your voice and ensuring of course that it's saying the things that you're actually thinking i don't know how that person is going to be like wait a minute i didn't say that right you know so i mean that's the scary part uh but i do think that the technology is incredible and i look forward to seeing where we go with this
0: yeah i'm not sure that i want something perpetually expressing what i'm thinking you <laughs> No, sometimes I want to keep Yikes. a few of these sometimes I want to keep a few of these thoughts to myself. Uh, Elizabeth, one of the reasons why I find this story so interesting is that very often in mass media right now AI is framed as a giant negative. Yes. And in this case it's sort of countering and saying, here's a practical usage that can really benefit people. What's your vibe on artificial intelligence in the medical field?
3: Yeah, this story actually is a very personal connection for me. I have two uh, brothers that use AAC, which is Augmented and Alternative Communication. So using uh, an iPad with pictures to point out what they'd like and then it speaks or a Bliss board. And I just think about how awkward and clunky this technology was certainly 20 years ago and still can be. And the potential for something like this is huge. It means you're not carrying something around with you. It means you're not worrying about technology failing like a battery pack. It also means that you're not having to learn a piece of technology. So this story really excites me, and I'm really interested to see sort of where this goes and what other kinds of disabilities might be able to benefit from this type of technology.
0: Okay. Like I said, quick slants. We're moving fast here. Hope you had your coffee before this segment. On several, to, cups. <laughs> several cups. Several cups. <laughs> On to something completely different, the Canada Disability Benefit. I am running out of ways to say it's winding its way through the political process. Perhaps crawling is a better way of saying it. At this point, really best case scenario, dollars are not going to hit bank accounts till late 2024, and even that's probably really, really optimistic. Marco, when something is as important as helping people with disabilities living in poverty, how much appetite do people have for hearing about process and jurisdiction?
4: I mean, this has been labored to death, right, Dave? Uh, You just said it yourself. I think people are like, what more do you need to hear to make your decisions? I've been blown away at the fact that for the longest time, we didn't even know what the number is and in fact i don't even think they've settled on a full number they have not yet yeah exactly so this is part of that laboring process in terms of you know listen figure that out then come to the table and let's have a discussion about the numbers and things you've settled on as well as the eligibility of this at the end of the day there are individuals who have permanent disabilities that they've had their entire lives in some cases and so that's not going anywhere anytime soon so can we land at least on the eligibility requirements and obviously the need. I mean, our country is going through some tough times right now, as as many countries are across the world when it comes to just being able to make ends meet. So mm. this money and the Canada Disability Benefit is going to be beneficial to so many people who would consider themselves on the poverty line or below it um, across our country. And I think we just we need to hustle. And the people that are in power and making those decisions, they may not be facing those same financial crisis, right? Uh, in Eliz- the same way,
0: Elizabeth. I think Marco put something really interesting there that I hadn't even considered. Why on earth would you go to the provinces without a number in mind? Why would you go negotiate with the provinces as the federal government if you don't even have your eligibility and number in mind yet? A similar question to you, Elizabeth, because you expressed concern quite eloquently a few weeks ago about how long the process is taking for creating and implementing the National Disability Benefit. What kind of tolerance do you think people have at this point when it comes to hearing about process?
3: Well, process. I don't know if I can do it as good as you. But what I will say is just from what I've heard in my own circle in the disability community, there's a lot of frustration, people not feeling like they're heard. And while I recognize and respect we want to get this right, there's a lot of things to work out. I think that what people are really looking for is some interim solution until this benefit comes to the table, some kind of you know, interim payment, something to help people through. As Marco said, these are tough times, but absolutely recognizing that we want to get this right as well.
0: Yeah, let's actually dwell on this one for one quick extra second, because it is an important topic and it's worth talking about. Marco, there has been that buzz. People are advocating saying, hey, can you at least offer up something temporary in the meantime? What do you think about that idea? I know it could still run into some jurisdictional hurdles and clawbacks, but I do wonder at what point, because there's been a ministry change, because the bill died once on the docket before an election was called, because the road has been so long and winding, what do you think about that idea of a temporary measure. Maybe it's not the full amount, maybe it's not the biggest number in the world, but it's some kind of number to bridge this gap.
4: Yeah, I think we were able to do it with CERB, uh, you know, during the pandemic, right? And that process was uh, you know, fairly easy actually. The first few months of the pandemic, I had to take SERB payments uh, because the world was changing, and I had no idea what was going to happen with my business for the first month or two. But it wasn't that big of a process. So why can't we we look at a similar type of process where an individual fills out a couple of questions, uh, gets an interim payment, and then we figure out mm-hmm. at least before the end of 2023, I'd like to see that because you know we're going into the holiday seasons. People just want to be with their family. Sometimes that means just a little bit of extra money for groceries and or uh, travel, and so I do think that that would be beneficial, and there's got to be a way in which we can do that. Yeah. Elizabeth, I'm empathetic to the notion and, and
0: importance of process because you want to make sure you get this right, especially in terms of the legal ease of policymaking. You need to make sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, and you don't want this to be a situation where perhaps it's created, begins to be implemented, a government changeover happens, and all of a sudden there's some loophole that says, ah, no, 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 the disability benefit goes away because the process— wasn't followed so I understand that as sort of saying okay you've got to get this right in the way that you do it but Elizabeth I'm also empathetic to this idea of saying can we at least put a couple extra hundred bucks in people's pockets every month based on the current the current conditions
3: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, this this not only helps people sort of term, but I think it also allows people to realize that they're being heard. Um, it's not a perfect solution, but feeling heard and validated is really important, I think, in this process.
0: Okay, one more quick take on something, and this is about affordability. And I know it's a little crass to go from the National Disability Benefit talking about poverty to maybe trying to have a little bit of fun with the topic of affordability. I'm saying I'm saying I'm but but it, like affordability <laughs> is one of the most pressing issues across the country, right? Food, shelter, energy, they're obvious, they're serious. If you'll allow me, though, let's have a little bit of fun with the issue of affordability. Elizabeth... What is the luxury item or expense that has been popping your eyes and ears when you're looking to treat yourself? My answer, hotel rooms. I've had to do a lot of travel the last couple of months, uh, both recreationally and business. And Elizabeth, Ooh, yeah. every time I'm window shopping for these hotels, I'm noticing prices that are $80, 90 $100 more expensive per night for hotels that used to be quite reasonable in cities like Ottawa and Montreal.
3: Yeah, mine would be the train specifically if you want to upgrade to what they now call business class. That's it's, it's amazing to me how much one ticket is. And this is booking in advance. It's debatable whether that's a luxury because obviously we don't drive. Now, I, I don't think we all need to go business, but it's it's incredible to me to see the jump from when I first started taking the train 10 years ago.
0: Elizabeth, I want you to hold your thought about the train for one second because I have a follow-up question for you. But okay. I want to get— but I'm I want to hold Hold steady. But I want to <laughs> give Marco a shot at this one too. Maybe uh, Elizabeth's right. I should put the air quotes. I'll throw the air quotes up with my fingers. Luxury <laughs> item. But Marco, what's the luxury <laughs> item that's been popping your eyes as you're doing some window shopping?
4: Aside from groceries, as you mentioned, no, uh, that's not a luxury, <laughs> but it is for some. Um, uh, on the topic of uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, I would actually uh, really agree with the fact of I often upgrade myself when I go on flights to uh, to business class or premium class uh, for accessibility reasons, because yeah. oftentimes, um, then I'm closer to the front of the plane. That's where the business class generally is, and it's easier for me to use the washroom. But if you go and do that upgrade right out the gate... Um, when you're actually booking your tickets, we're talking ticket prices, Dave, that are four to five times the amount of the regular seats or the economy seats. And it's insane. Whereas WestJet, they have this bidding process where you can give them a number and, and say, well, hey, listen, if you don't fill these seats, I'm willing to pay you like 200 bucks. How about that? And, you know, uh, you don't know if you're actually the highest bidder at all. So it could be up to five days before my flight. And I have no idea if I'm going to be in the front of the plane or in C29 you know yeah, what I mean yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's a yeah, it's yeah. it's a little bit uh, sketchy these days but yeah definitely being able to have comfort while you travel especially yeah. for long flights from say Vancouver to Montreal I I am willing to pay the price but how much of a price is the question
0: Yeah in my in my case that's not a question of accessibility it's a question of girth I love me I love me an upgraded seat on an airplane so my rolls <laughs> of fat aren't touching my neighbor it uh, makes life better for Fair. everybody involved Okay Elizabeth you mentioned the train I'm going to be careful in the way that I phrase this, because I don't want to cast too many aspersions to the hardworking people at Union Station in downtown Toronto. Elizabeth, my recent experience has been that it's getting a little bit worse from a service standard standpoint. I know Union is big, it's sprawly, Mm -hmm. it's hard to navigate on its best day, but I find the service standards are slipping just a smidge. Have you observed the same thing?
3: Yeah, I want to just pick up on uh, Marco's point. That's exactly why I was sort of saying, well, you know, business class, I don't know that it is a luxury because... There's people right on the train that can assist you in business class. I've also found a lot of difficulty getting from the train down to a taxi. So the Porter service and just finding people in general, they used to have way back in the day, a little area where you would go and there was sort of like a red cap and there was a desk that is no more. And quite often if you go to the ticket desk, because everything's online, there's no staff. So it's a real challenge to find people, especially if you're lucky like me and you're on that 6.50 AM train out of Toronto to London.
0: (laughs) Wow! Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I will still say Union is better than Pearson. So for all the, all the junk I just That's talked fair. about, Union, yes. still better than Pearson. I'll give you Pearson. that. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Elizabeth, you don't go too far because you're back for the roundtable in the next segment. You're co-hosting the show today. I won't catch
3: just yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Marco, now
4: is time to say goodbye to you. Have a lovely day, sir. Yes, thanks to both of you. This has been awesome, and I love this rapid-fire thing, so maybe we should do this again down the lines at some Ab- point. Abs- Excellent. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm, I'm so tempted to post our email chain uh,
0: <laughs> online so people can see how much emailing went into this one, but maybe we'll keep that just for us. That's Marco Pasqua, the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Elizabeth Moeller is co-hosting the show, and we'll have a fresh roundtable topic coming your way after the break. It's all about emergency preparedness. So the show will be back in just a moment with Ramya Amethan and Nazreen Abdelmajid. Well, maybe Nazreen. I heard there's a power outage in Guelph. But definitely Elizabeth, Ramya, and myself. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The halls around this studio have been buzzing the last couple of days. Not just in preparation for the debut of Access Tech Live tomorrow on AMI-tv. I believe it's noon Eastern for that debut of Access Tech Live Exciting, exciting times with Marco Flalo and Stephen Scott. It wasn't just exciting around here yesterday because Nazreen Abdel-Majid was in the mix, hanging out in my office, stealing my chair, much to my chagrin. Jacob Szymanski from AMI-audio hanging out down the hallway as well. And then when Nazreen and Jacob are around, Ramya Amuthan is not too far behind. And Rumya, you got yourself kicked out of a bunch of different offices and kitchens yesterday because the three of you were big-time troublemakers
5: yeah honestly we're super loud the decibel level goes up quite significantly when the three of us are around the <laughs> office so we we're sorry but not sorry you know
0: you eventually found your way into my office and I was delighted to have you even though Nazreen <laughs> stole my setup and my chair uh, Ramia, you eventually had to say goodbye to the room yesterday to go host Kelly and Ramia, which hits the airwaves at 2 p.m eastern time on AMI tv and AMI audio what's coming up on the show today
5: Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned, but Kelly's back yesterday, too. That's a big deal. So he's again with us today. We're talking about um, the upcoming Manitoba provincial elections. If you have disability-related questions that you want answered, there's an event where you can have your voice heard, they say. So community reporter Vic Pereira is going to tell us more about that. Also, we're talking, yeah, FIBA World Cup because Canada made... uh, uh, history by placing third they're qualifying for the paris olympics so we're going to break it all down with arash madani from the sports net no way
0: have... you're talking to yeah. arash madani oh my gosh no. he did such a good job in the philippines and indonesia doing his sideline reports and and, yeah. and 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 ramia I, I i don't know if i can describe this properly the suit coats and blazers that arash was rocking oh my oh. gosh oh my gosh so good so okay. stylish
5: oh we need to get descriptions on those then thank you Um, and not to change the topic but one more thing we have business talk with kevin shaw and we're talking business etiquette not just about the dressing for success but about what exactly business <laughs> etiquette is he's going to tell us i'm telling you i have no idea so.
0: not not just dressing like arash madani it goes it goes no. beyond that i'm so great cool I'm, I'm so jealous you're talking to arash madani he's like one of my favorite journalists John, ever, we'll take listener ever. Questions. i'm just gonna burst i'm just gonna burst into studio seven and be like arash arash it's dave hello i saw you once at Blue Jays training camp and was too nervous to say hello to you. Um, but no, I won't do that, Ramya. I won't ruin your show. Yeah, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time, AMI-audio and AMI-tv, another edition of Kelly and Ramya coming your way. Ramya, don't go away just yet because Elizabeth Moeller has some important questions here about preparing for a storm
3: yeah thank you so much dave i know i've uh, talked a little bit about this on the show and did an amazing job last week from atlantic canada just talking about how to prepare for a hurricane but given that we're still dealing with hurricane lee in our midst i wanted to really have a conversation with the three of us about how to prepare so if you hear that there is a storm coming or a weather disruption what do you do to prepare and ramia i'm going to start with you
5: um, so I've said it before, and I c- clearly have not changed or had some kind of self-improvement about this. I don't do much. Honestly, the The only thing that I look out for nowadays, like in the last three years, is making sure that I have some kind of emergency preparedness bag pack uh, for my dog because it's the two of us living together. And that is something that you know has been put together and actually stays by the entrance in our closet but for myself not much i'm i'm talking like i don't even have a charger for my phone and that would be probably oh, rum, yeah. one thing <laughs> i know i know like a like a, um uh, you know what i'm talking about right like any uh, yeah
0: portable battery, battery. yeah portable, portable battery, battery. Exactly. yeah yeah yeah
5: so tell me what I should be doing.
0: Okay, Ramya is being naughty over there, not, not keeping herself prepared. Although, you know, Ramya is like myself. We're city people, right? So we think to ourselves, if we need to scavenge in the city, we can scavenge in the city. Nazreen, you are going through a power outage right now in Guelph, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. How timely I'm, is this? Like super timely, <laughs> Nazreen, going through a power outage. Nazreen, what does your preparation process look like?
6: I know, how convenient. I just realized um, I'm not as prepared as I should be. The only thing that worked out for me is I have a portable charger, so I didn't freak out so fast. Um, I have a portable charger, and it's charged the way it's ready for me. And uh, I have lots and lots of candles in the house, so that was helpful, even though it's during the day, so it's not a big deal. Um, Other than that, Dave, I think I should be more prepared. I yeah. feel like we're we're not good in emergency situations.
0: Uh, Elizabeth, I've said this before on the air. I, I do keep a couple of protein bars around, a flashlight, a couple of Band-Aids, like a couple things that I know if I need to go out on the fly real quick, I'm ready. But I would still tell you, generally speaking, I'm woefully underprepared for a situation if a major storm were to move in.
3: Yeah, you know, up until sort of listening to these segments, I hadn't really thought much about it. Like you said, we're city people. And I think there's a little bit of, this won't happen to me, at least from my perspective. It's sort of like I'm hearing it happening all around me, but no, it it couldn't possibly happen here in Toronto. I think one of the things that I really took away from from Anne's report was the longer cane. I would never think to bring a longer cane or have one on hand Mm. in case you need to navigate debris. And as somebody who doesn't traditionally use cited guide unless I absolutely need to, that would be critical for me.
0: Yeah, it, just to make a reference to what you're talking about there, Elizabeth, Ann Kamosi, a new columnist on the show, a disability advocate in Atlantic Canada, uh, came on the show last week and gave some pretty fresh perspective on emergency preparedness. You can find that on the podcast. Uh, look for Now with Dave Brown on your favorite podcasting platform. Forgive me, I can't remember whether it was last Tuesday or last Wednesday, but you know what? It was what?
3: Wednesday the 6th. It was
0: Wednesday. There you go. Look at Elizabeth bailing me out here. Well, Elizabeth- no, I got I, you, Dave. I got
3: you.
0: What, what I was going to do is I was going to tell people they should listen to both episodes and pump up our listens until they found it, but uh, but you, you beat me to it, you beat me to it. Okay, let's uh, sort of wrap up on this one. I think everyone kind of understands, like flashlights, food, batteries, portable chargers. Nazarene, you know what I've been thinking about recently for a quick evacuation or a quick emergency? Some of my documents. I know where my passport is. I have no idea where my birth certificate is. Now, I'm not saying you absolutely, oh, desperately need that in time to flight, but it would be nice, perhaps, if I took better care of some documentation. What about you?
6: I think that's the only thing that I am actually organized in. I have a drawer full of important documents. But to go through that drawer is another story, because I feel like it's a very—it's <laughs> a lot of things. There's a lot of things. I would say I'm organized, quote-unquote organized. Um, but going through that big drawer of, documents and important receipts and important stuff like that that's just another story so I'm I'm half prepared
0: guys I just have this image of Nazarene running running away from a tornado with like a desk drawer like in her hands it's like it's such an image uh Ramya Ramya, what about you like documentation have you considered that element at all because this is I don't know why it's been in my brain the last week but it's been in my brain the last week
5: it's a fair one and i do have all anything that i consider a uh, clean you know proper paperwork that i need to have period not need to have on hand not need to have in case of emergency but need to own i do have things organized that way i went through like a large cleanup earlier this year and i have everything organized in a file folder um but i don't like i will say i don't think that i would take these things with me when i go the only thing that would uh be even remotely considered is whatever i have in my phone right so anything that's already Mm -hmm. saved in my dropbox or like some kind of cloud storage uh or my apple wallet etc etc other than my passport i'm such a paperless person dave if it's not in my phone then i'm not going to consider it at all on the daily on in an emergency whatever so uh that's kind of where you're leading me to think about whether or not i have everything i need up in the cloud
0: Elizabeth, there was a fire alarm in my old apartment in Ottawa a couple of years ago in the middle of the night. And all I did was grab my wallet, my keys, and my passport. Cause I, cause I said, if my building is burning down tonight, I'm flying to Vegas this morning and I'm sorting out, and I'm sorting out the rest. Uh, Elizabeth, we've only got about 90 seconds on the clock here. But what about you? What about documentation? Am I pulling at weird threads here or has that been on your brain at all? uh, No, uh,
3: documentation is really important and especially any medical documents that you might need. So if you have any, uh, Allergies that are listed—that's I think really important. I also, for sure, would bring any any medications with me that I needed. And I think the other thing for me that I was thinking about is um, a list of emergency contacts in case something happens to me. So whether that's on your phone or in hard copy laminate really important to have with you and some instructions up by your door as well. So in case, unfortunately, you do need to be assisted out and you're not able to speak, a little bit of uh, information about any medical conditions is really important.
0: That is well put. Elizabeth, thank you for filling in in the co-host chair the last couple of days. It's been Great me. to have you aboard. Nazreen, hope that power comes back to you soon. And Ramya, I will catch up with you in a couple of hours here around the AMI offices. That's all the time there is for Now with Dave Brown. Don't worry, the show's back again tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm the old DB, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.